Hello and welcome to Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. This week, I want to talk about a poet called Jen Hadfield and her collection of poetry, The Stone Age. I'm holding it in my right hand as we speak. And I suppose all you need to know by way of background is that Jen Hadfield lives and works, I believe, in Shetland the northernmost extremity of Scotland, which is also not that far from Norway and the Faroe Islands. So a place that's sort of touched by Scottishness and Scandinavianness as well. And I think you'll taste that in the poetry. I'm going to start by reading a poem called Hard Anger Fiddle and Nickel Harper, which is not about a local legal firm. They are two instruments, Hard Anger Fiddle and Nickel Harper. They are Scandinavian musical instruments. And I want to read this because I think it gives a real flavour of what Jen Hadfield is about in this collection, The Stone Age. And then... I think I'm going to read another couple if I have time. And this provides a sort of a key to them in a way. Okay, I'm going to go in with a a biggish chunk. So don't feel you have to really soak up every moment in this. Just let it flow over you as if I was playing perhaps a Scandinavian stringed instrument and you were just soaking it up. So help me, I would rather write a song, a wordless song for the strings of the north, hard anger fiddle and nickel harper, like jewels hewn in flax and wood, keys a delicate overbite, elfish devices in mother of pearl, like nights the sea calms paler than the sky. Short bow, light enough to touch the nerves of the north, fretful in a shiver of sympathetic strings. Right, so, so help me, it begins. Good start, so help me. You know when people say, so help me, I'm going to kill that cat. It's like, I know I shouldn't be saying this, but but I'm, I'm just being completely honest. There's also a more formal side to the uh, the honesty involved in So Help Me, of course. It's the old court oath. I say old because I don't know if people still take oaths in court in this secular age. But when you promise to tell the whole truth, so help me God. So it begins, so help me, so help me. Okay, I'd rather write a song a wordless song for the strings of the north. I'd rather write a song rather than what? Well, we sort of, we don't know that the speaker, of course, is Jen Hadfield, but it could be that it's a poet. I'd rather write a song. Whatever it is, it's whatever they're doing, they would rather be doing something else. And that would be to write a song, a wordless song for the strings of the North, which I presume means an instrumental piece for a stringed instrument from the North, in this case from Scandinavia. So someone saying, so help me, you know what, if I'm going to be absolutely honest, I'd rather write a song, a wordless song for the strings of the North. Now, I don't know if you can have a wordless song. I think 
the definition of a song is music with words. Nevertheless, I'd rather write a song, a wordless song for the strings of the north. And you can see, if this is a poet considering writing poetry, why it would be quite enticing to imagine writing an instrumental piece of music. First of all, you get the words out the way, and words, although they are life's blood, of course, to a poet, are also surely associated with hard work and difficulty and making those words do what you want them to do. So there's a lure, isn't there, of the instrumental where that isn't necessary. But it's a bit deeper than that, I think. The the critic Walter Pater said that all art should aspire to the condition of music. And what I think he meant was there's a problem with art that includes words in that they, words are quite specific, even the sort of words that poets use and the way they use them to create ambiguity and multiple meanings of, of, of many kinds. They are still words, and words can tie you down a bit more than music. I could hear Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, and it could remind me of that kid that used to bully me at Moat Farm Infant School. You could listen to it, and it could remind you of a religious experience you had at a football match. It, you know, who knows? It gives us so much space, music to put ourselves on it, whereas language can be a bit like a, a portcullis that we have to pick our way through. There are only certain gaps of a certain size. I'll give you an example which is quite personal, but I don't care, this is quite a personal podcast. I used to meditate quite a bit, and I would meditate as a sort of a form of wordless prayer. I know, <laughs> but I did, whether you like it or not. And it was quite deep, and I think the idea, as it had been explained to me, was that if you completely empty yourself of all thoughts and intentions, that God will fill you back up with something different and magical and unworldly. I don't know if that's the case, but I decided to try it. And what would be really difficult is I'd do like 10 minutes of not thinking. I mean, literally, you develop a, the ability to switch off your brain. And then after it, try and do a sort of a formal prayer with proper words. And it feels weird and inappropriate and sort of a bit trivial after this deep, wordless place you've been. So it might be... Although we're on a poetry podcast where we like to see words as, as a stairway to truth, sometimes they can be an obstacle to truth. And it might be that the speaker of the poem is longing for that kind of wordless song. So not just a night off from writing words, but something really deep and profound. The way that kind of music, all kinds of music, can affect people, instrumental music. And he played on the hard anger fiddle and nickel harper, which, yes, of course, I have looked up what they are. And they are beautiful, ornate wooden instruments with lots of strings and pegs and spiky bits. And they look slightly 
otherworldly as well. So perhaps the right place to perform a wordless song for the strings of the North, they certainly, being Scandinavian, instruments qualify us as that. Like jewels hewn in flaxen wood, keys a delicate overbite. It's like these things have been sort of, these instruments have been hacked out of um, a Scandinavian tree by someone. They've, they've come out still a bit rough and spiky, but, but bejeweled because they're ornate. They're like jewels. And the delicate overbite, I have to exp- exp- oh, By the way, the flaxen wood, flaxen sort of blonde, which is the classic Scandinavian look, of course. So sort of this flaxen wood, they've been hacked out of it with a, some sort of northern axe. And uh, the keys are delicate overbite. That actually does, um, certainly on one of the instruments, the keys sort of jot out over the body of the instrument like a delicate overbite. As a reference, look up Plog in the Bass Street Kids from the Beano comic and you'll get a, a sense of that. It might be easier to just look up a picture of one of these instruments, but I don't like to miss an opportunity to Google Plog from the Bass Street Kids if I can avoid it. Now, the, I think this next line is key to understanding Jen Hadfield's The Stone Age collection. Elfish devices in mother of pearl, like nights the sea calms paler than the sky. Okay, now the actual line, and we talk a lot on these things about where lines break. They don't always break where the sentence breaks. And there's usually a reason for that. Elfish devices in mother of pearl-like is the actual line. And that, for me, is very typical of this collection because elfish devices is a fabulous description of a Scandinavian instrument because I think we associate Scandinavia with that kind of folklore magic elves and trolls and all that but also elfish devices yeah that can be the instruments because they make these strange noises which I'll go into in a minute but also, I think Jen Hadfield's poems could be described as elfish devices. They are very elfish in that they are very tricky, very clever and very surprising. And she's always pulling jokes on you and fooling you. In this, elfish devices in Mother of Pearl-like is the line. Mother of Pearl-like I really like because Mother of Pearl isn't really pearl, so it is pearl-like. So you could say it was mother of pearl-like because it's a mother of pretense, a mother of pretending to be something that it actually isn't. And that could suggest all the trickery and fakery of elves, but also the nature of poetry. There's a lot of clever trickery, especially in, in this poem and in the poems in this collection, I would say. Because she's not saying mother of pearl, like when the line continues, she's saying elfish devices in mother of pearl. And we all relax. Like nights, the sea calms paler than the sky, which is beautiful because the idea that the sea is so calm sometimes that at night when the moon shines on it, the sea becomes paler than the sky above it. It's so smooth, it takes the full blast of moonlight. 
But that is also a sort of elfish idea because it is a world upside down. A world where you expect the sea to be dark and the sky to be paler. And that's been reversed, if you like. Now, again, and I'm not going to keep pointing these out because there's so many tricks and deceptions in Jen Hadfield that we'd be here all day. But the line is paler than the sky hyphen short bow light. And I thought, oh, okay, short bow light. So a sort of a short curved light that's what's making the sea paler than the sky a short curved and then I realized when I read on that what she's actually saying is short bow light enough to touch the nerves of the north so she's led me into thinking she's talking about light because she's talking about something being paler than something else and in fact, she's talking about the instrument, what, what they play the instrument with, a short bow. Remember, there's no commas here to help me out, so I'm, I'm trying to find my way through all this elfishness. Short bow light enough to touch the nerves of the north. Short bow light enough to touch the nerves of the north. So it's, it's how the instrument is actually played. Fretful in a shiver of sympathetic strings you can hear those various s sounds shiver of sympathetic strings that sounds like a stringed instrument and particularly this one fretful by the way is also a pun i think because you have frets on the neck of a of a stringed instrument to change the note so fretful I think fretful because it's delicate and anxious and slightly unsettling. So fretful in that sense, but also it's played on frets. In a shiver of sympathetic strings and you think, oh, it's on our side. It, it reaches into our soul and it empathises with us. Sympathetic strings is also a sort of technical term. And they are strings that you don't actually play. They're like drone strings that you hit some of the strings and the other strings just hit this background sound. So you're not playing that. The instrument sort of plays those strings. It's a bit like if you've ever read any romantic poetry, you may have heard of the Aeolian harp, which was an instrument that was, yeah, it is an instrument. You would leave it on your, for example, um, windowsill and the wind would play it. So it was an idea of music, of art being just created by the universe, if you like. Someone, I think, is building a shed in the middle of my road. I can hear it. You know what? It's fine. I want life to go on as I sit huddled in this small room talking to you about poetry. That makes me feel more alienated, which is a feeling I always enjoy. OK, so we've got an idea. Um, this person who's speaking would love to write one of these fabulous Scandinavian instrumental tunes to be played on one of these fabulous Scandinavian instruments. Okay, next bit. And she's referring here back to the instruments. Feeling in their flat chests how close the night has moored to silence. 
Bored wind gowling in the bars of the gate, purr of surge when the night is still. So help me, write a song of unsettling grace, perhaps an old folk dance in a weird time signature. I'm turning the page. A gawky waltz, a lonely march, gone off on a tangent. So these instruments seem to be feeling in their flat chests how close the night has moored to silence. And I'm going to give you one example of this line break. Yes, I know the technical term is enjambment. But whenever I say enjambment, enjambment being when you don't end a line on a sentence, you end it mid-sentence and you do that for a reason so that the line has its own meaning as well as the sentence when you go on to complete it. It's called enjambment. I don't want to spell it because I think spelling is quite a tedious thing to do on a podcast. There are, as far as I know, no spelling podcasts. And uh, I think there's probably a commercial reason for that. So enjambment, anyway, breaking the line somewhere for a little sneaky purpose okay so these instruments feeling in their flat chest how close the night has moored to silence the night seems to be like a boat now and has moored close to silence it's 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 tied itself to silence again i'm going to give you that line where the line breaks because it does other stuff how close the night has moored to silence, bored. So you get your rhyme there, I'm moored and bored. But also how close the night has moored to silence, bored. It sounds like the night is really quiet and I'm bored is what it sounds like. Can I say there's also a large gap on the line between two and silence. How close the night has moored to silence board I would read if I was honouring that gap and I think that gap is again another bit of uh, elfish trickery by Jen Hadfield it's sort of demonstrating silence before she says silence how close the night is moored to silence board okay now board in fact of course refers to something else so it goes on board wind Gowling in the bars of the gate, purr of surge when the night is still. So help me write a song of unsettling grace. Now, I think, again, the line breaks are key in this, and I, I'm never quite sure how much one can take in audio-wise about line breaks, but I'm going to give you a try. The board is on the end of that line, I think, to suggest that the speaker is bored. If something's at the end of a line, it normally suggests the significance. But we read it through bored wind, okay? So the wind is bored, and the speaker may be, but we're referring specifically to the wind. Bored wind gowling, which I think is a northern term for sort of howling. Bored wind gowling in the bars of the gate. Oh, this is like the end of Ernie, the fastest milkman in the West when uh, the gate is rattled by the wind. We all have our own references, of course. Bored wind gowling in the bars of the gate, purr of surge when the night is still, purr of surge, 
the surge of the sea. We know that she can hear the sea. So the wind is making sounds, the sea is making sounds, but her night seems to be moored to silence. And it makes me wonder when she goes on to say, when the night is still, so help me write. And that's the end of a stanza, that word. So when she says, so help me write a song of unsettling grace, yeah, we'll come to the song of unsettling grace. The actual stanza ends, so help me write. And now, so help me, doesn't sound so much like, so help me, I'll kill that cat. It sounds like, so help me write. So help me write. Someone who is struggling to write. It's like a prayer now, I think. But then again, a song of unsettling grace, perhaps an old folk dance. So still this lure to write music, which seems to be other than that, that she sat down to write. Judging by that first line, I would rather write a song. Okay. A song of unsettling grace. Now, can I say again, there are many, I would say unsettling grace is one of the features of this collection. So she's yearning to write this instrumental piece, just, I think, to get away from words. But the thing she seems to be yearning for sound quite a lot like the poetry that she writes. So the poems are like elfish devices and they're ornate like these things with these instruments with their mother of pearl inlays and they like all good poetry seem to set off a shiver of sympathetic strings they say one thing but you feel other things being triggered by it like ripples coming off that word that appears in the poem you feel all the extraness that you get in good poetry I know it's not a word, but you can definitely use it in a poetry podcast. So A Song of Unsettling Grace. There's lots of those in this collection, if we can refer to her poems as songs. Perhaps an old folk dance in a weird time signature. This is what she's really after here, isn't it? She's after sort of off-kilterness. She's not interested in producing something that's formal and recognisable from previous examples a song of unsettling grace she wants to write perhaps an old folk dance so she wants it to be steeped in tradition she wants it to have a timeless nature but with a weird time signature so it's um it wants to feel traditional but it needs to be stranger than that so both things She's playing traditional, but the sympathetic strings of oddness are also sounding. I think that's what she's after. Then she says, a gawky waltz she, she, she longs for, to write a gawky waltz. Gawky, oh, do I have to spell? G-A-W-K-Y, sort of awkward. So she doesn't want to write a beautiful formal waltz. Uh, and then a lonely march gone off on a tangent. You know, marches are usually sort of triumphalist and military, and they're all bang, bang, forward in neat order. She doesn't want that. She wants a lonely march. So all that pomp removed, gone off at a tangent. Something, oh, that's what I want. 
Ideally tonight, I'd like to sit with one of these odd instruments and play something that is beautiful, but also unsettling and has a sense of magic and folklore, but also feels like it's got its own ugliness as well. Then the poem ends, pop back to say it was just a random thought, an interrupted cadence, a whistle under the breath. So then again we've been tricked by enjambment because I thought that she wanted to write a lonely march gone off at a tangent. But no, she wants to write a lonely march, new thought, gone off at a tangent, pop back to say it was just a random thought. So suddenly the whole thing stops. All this oddity, all this longing, all this what feels like a desperate desire to write goes. Gone off at a tangent. Like It's like a note someone left on your door. Gone off at a tangent, pop back to say it's just a random thought, an interrupted cadence. So cadence can be of music, but also of poetry, a whistle under the breath. So it sounds like, yeah, I was trying to, sitting trying to write a poem and I suddenly uh, went off at a tangent and I started thinking, oh, wouldn't it be great to write one of those Scandinavian folk tunes for one of those instruments? And it would be all gawky and lonely and unsettling and elfish and graceless and so on. That's what I think she's saying. And I think the random thought that interrupted her flow has produced a beautiful poem. And so it's a clever little puzzle, this, because it's like I was trying to write a poem tonight and then I started thinking, oh, God, wouldn't it be great if I could just write something without any words? something that really feels like it's of the north, which is what I'm trying to get in my poetry. And in that longing, that um, random thought, she accidentally, or at least this is what she's, the idea that she's selling us, she accidentally produced a poem exactly of that nature. Okay, that's that. I just want to give you a sense of the collection. I might have to speed up a bit because I've probably been talking for about two and a half hours. But it's Jen Hadfield's The Stone Age, which is a really brilliant collection. And I feel like I've been, uh, not necessarily to Shetland, but just I feel like I've been to a northern mysterious place having read this collection. And I feel that if I went to one of those actual places, it wouldn't be as good as this. There's a man, wasn't there, who was obsessed with France, I remember um, reading about, who was so obsessed with France and his house was full of French things and French pictures and French poetry, but he never went to France because he thought, he thought if he went there, he was afraid it would be a letdown. And that's kind of how I feel now about Shetland and all that. Right, so there is a thing that runs through this book and I don't know quite how to describe it to you, but they are big poems and I don't mean long. I mean that the poem I just read to you, Hardanger Fiddle and Nickel Harper, looked like a poem. It was a lot of short lines of, you know, black letters on a white page. That's what it looked like. 
These poems that I want to talk about now briefly are what I would call sort of fog poems. The letters are much bigger than the other poems and they are much paler. So they look a bit like fog. Obviously, fog tends not to be in language form. But you know what I mean? They are misty, foggy, grey and big. And they seem to float across the collection like fog floating across a moor. Mm -mm. They're also in brackets, these. As if they're always there, but they're not quite of the collection. I'm going to read one to you. They're quite short because the lettering is really big. So, you know, there's not that much room for them. Open brackets. I'm just going to read you the first bit and then guess what? I'll read the next bit after I've talked about this bit. Because my sentence is lava slow and sometimes mangled conglomerate, grey lag of language, a wing beat behind... Words come halt and missen him. But your intervention was unnecessary. In fact, I simply turned away to gorp out through my northern pain. Open brackets, as I say, because, breaking all the rules I was taught at school, beginning with because, because my sentence is lava slow. And now we got that scent a volcanic lava moving slowly across a landscape. And, of course, it's a geological phenomenon, and there's plenty of that in the Stone Age. But if you call a book the Stone Age, that's fair. That's fair. Because my sentence is lava slow, so I'm a bit slower than you. So this is the speaker speaking to some other person here. Because my sentence is lava slow and sometimes mangled conglomerate, grey lag of language. Conglomerate is stone which is made of composite stones. So it's like a bunch of stones mixed into one stone. This is, I'm trying to remember now. We did do geology at school for about two terms. And I think there was a thing called pudding stone, which we used to have chunks of as an example of this, and you could see the different stone all together. Is a, yeah, you've guessed it. It's a geological term. So my sentence is lava slow and sometimes mangled conglomerate, grey lag of language, a wing beat behind. So I don't think the speaker is saying because I'm slow. I think they're saying because I'm thoughtful to the point of not playing the game of sparkling conversation because I want to say things that matter and are important. I'm not going to be rushed into a firework display of articulacy. I once interviewed Björk, the Icelandic singer. It's only just occurred to me that she too was had this Scandinavian thing going on. And I would ask Björk a question and then there would be a terrible unsettling pause. And a pause on television, I mean, three seconds feels like three months. And I could tell what she was actually doing, something I hadn't really had from an interviewee before. She was thinking about the question and then thinking about her answer. 
and it was startling thing to do. Most people, they just rattle something off and it'll be okay. Happily, it was not a live show, so we were able to cut out these pauses, just like that pause in um, in the previous poem. Do you remember that pause? How close the night has moored to silence. That's what I was getting from Björk. But I, at first they frightened me and then I grew to love those pauses because I knew she was thinking. She cared enough to think about what I'd asked. And that is what I think is being said here. Yeah, lava slow and sometimes mangled conglomerates. So there might be all sorts of different things going on in my head, but it's all good. Grey lag of language. Lag is sort of a slowing down. So again, a wing beat behind. I might be a bit slower than you, but that's because I don't want to say just anything. Also, uh, lag, again, is a geological term for deposits uh, left after an action. So maybe she's had a big thought and then these are some thoughts that have lingered. So she's saying, yeah, I know I might be difficult to communicate with, but I'm having some big thoughts here. Words come halt. I mean, I think they staccato, they stop and they start. Or lame or uneven. I think that all that is in halt. Words come halt and miss on him. Missonym meaning incorrect or unsuitable, like a a misnomer. But then you get that turn. So, yeah, I'm slow and slightly distracted and very, very thoughtful and maybe ponderous, but ponderous in a good way. And going back to the poem, but your intervention was unnecessary. Ouch. So this sounds like someone trying to intervene to, to speed things up to maybe help her to explain what she's trying to say. Yes, it's going to be a man. We all think that, but we don't know that. So let's not make it 100. But, you know, it sounds like it would be a man. In fact, I simply turned away to gawp out through my northern pain. So I was just looking through the window. And also, I didn't peep out the window. I didn't have one of those sly looks you have when you're talking to someone who you're thinking, oh, This was a gawp. This is someone taking plenty of time, as much time. Maybe if you live, and I don't want to get too biographical here, but maybe if you live in Shetland, you've got more time. But uh, I simply turned away to gawp out through my northern pain. And uh, I guess that is a window, a window pane that looks out on the north. And I don't just mean geographically. And I don't just mean window pane. So, yes, she could have actually literally looked through a window that was facing north. But she could have just had a moment of focus in her mind, which was about the deep, profound northernness of her work. The last bit of this says, and it's a sort of giant conclusion in big, foggy words. These words are literally, I mean, an inch high, or for the younger people, probably about two centimetres. This is the giant conclusion. Thoughts a fog, dark sea. Green lens glittering with a thousand facets. So thoughts a fog, dark sea. Thought is a 
deep, mysterious thing. It's not a light, sparkly, conversational thing. It's big, and it is lava slow. And there is complications and contradictions. Thoughts are fog dark sea, green lens glittering with a thousand facets. Now, I didn't tell you that this poem is called, it's listed in the contents, in brackets, as Lighthouse. So green lens glittering with a thousand facets. Yes, that that is obviously sounding like a, a, a lighthouse with its... Um, I think it's called a Fresnel lens, that very multi-faceted, slightly green glass that you get in a lighthouse. So thoughts of a fog dark sea, that's what thought is like. Green lens glittering with a thousand facets suggests light in that darkness, illumination. And maybe it suggests, I like to think it suggests, that her thought in that she has been made slightly to defend her thought by that um, unnecessary intervention. That her thought may be slow and deliberate, but it's also important and compassionate. It's like, it's like, I think her mind is like the poetry's underthought, if you like. It's this fog that runs through the whole collection and every now and again a poem emerges from it there's a flash of light like you get from a a lighthouse and i suppose like a lighthouse it means that the poetry suggests that the poetry is also crucial and has a life or death element to it which i like to think that all poetry does this is long but you know what i'm i really want to read you another short fog poem let me do that i'll tell you what here's the deal if you want to switch off now i won't be offended and we'll just say you've got enough about jen hadfield to know that the stone age is worth buying it's on you know picador poetry and you can get it god just google it don't give me you know what do you want notes i just want to do one i'll do this quick but i just want to give a feel that these run through the collection, these fog poems. By the way, no one I know calls them fog poems except me. So if you meet Jen Hadfield, don't say, oh, I love your fog poems. She'll be confused. Open brackets. The foundation of this dry stained dake. I'm going to start. I don't normally stop in with these bits when I read through, but dry stained dake, you can probably guess, is a sort of Scottishness for dry stone dyke or what we would call in England a dry stone wall, you know, those little bits of stone that you see piled into a wall with no cement. Incredible. The foundation of this dry stained dike is where my head is at. Indomitable lump like a troll's boulder. Bluntened bubble. A mere ten tons. Shoved into the front line amongst a dapper infantry. Here's my cranium, unfashionably sincere. All righty. So she seems to be saying there's a massive lump, a big boulder in the middle of a dry stone wall amidst all these little bits of stone. There's this big lump, and that's her. The foundation of this dry stained dake is where my head is at. Indomitable lump, sort of 
just there, not really controllable, just this big presence, indomitable lump like a troll's boulder. And we're back, I think, into the elfish devices, a troll's boulder, a, a, a boulder that a, a, a troll. And she doesn't mean, I'm pretty certain, someone who says bad stuff about you on social media. She means the original troll, hairy and hostile. I don't know what they use boulders for, maybe throwing at people, sitting on, whatever. But anyway, it's like a troll's boulder. Blunted bobble, so no sharp bits to it. It's big and lumpy and nearly round and smooth. A mere ten tons shoved into the front line amongst a dapper infantry. Now, that, the dapper infantry... I'm guessing because she's shoved into the front line, is all those little bits of stone. So they're all there, very neat, very lined up. They've all been precision placed to form this wall, to form this barrier. But she, her head is just this big, solid lump. And I feel edgy about saying that about anyone's head. But I think the, the point is here is the point that was made in the previous fog poem to some extent that she has a solidity and a depth of thought which doesn't really fit in with the dapper infantry she is moving at a different pace and at a different depth from most people you see that argument was if it even was an argument when in the last poem she said but your intervention was unnecessary it sounds like she's arguing with a guy, and I'm sort of taking that from some gut feeling. I don't have any evidence for that. But hold on to that thought that he's interrupted her before and she's miffed about it, and that is a continuation. So she's talking about who she is. Here's my cranium, unfashionably sincere. That's a great line. Unfashionably sincere. And it is probably true... Well, maybe it isn't, but we all feel, don't we, that sincerity isn't very fashionable, that um, the modern world is about flash rather than depth. There is a big lump, big round, I think it's supposed to be a giant full stop. In my new method of giving you measurements, it's probably three, three centimetres across. It obviously suggests the boulder as well, but it, it's still written in fog. We're nearly there. Stick with me. It's worth it. Here's your small talk. Tessellate, quick, stable, splintery, a wall made of common currency, moss-draped, something like a veil, a hundred mile of complacent, coherent, competent, dry stone, cohesive, cognitive, cognizant stone. Now, I've had a few arguments in my time and I've been shot down in flames, but this is really up there as a zinger. I mean, get out of that. So I'm, I'm this lump like a troll's boulder, this blunt and bobble. I weigh 10 tonnes. I'm unfashionably sincere. And then the person she addresses seems to be the, the wall, the dry stone wall that adjoins this enormous solidity. 
Here's your small talk. Well, already, that's the first shot. Compared to the, the depth that we've got from her that thought, if you remember in the last poem I'm flicking back, thoughts a, a fog dark sea, but not the thought of the person she's speaking to, it seems. Here's your small talk, tessellate, so sort of all neatly fitted together. Quick, stable, splintery. A dry stone wall, of course, is man-made, whereas the boulder, who knows where they come from? They just arrive, the boulders. So is your small talk, Tesla, quick, stable, splintery. A wall made of common currency. Common, there's a lot of people like you. And it's a wall as well. Is that, is that really what you want to use your ingenuity for, for separation, for some sort of this is mine and that's yours? Common currency, moss-draped, so it has some air of the natural about it. Moss-draped, something like a veil. Even that seems to be something to hide behind. It's Where is the unfashionable sincerity in that? And then, I mean, even deeper goes the knife. A hundred mile of complacent, coherent, competent, dry stone, cohesive, cognitive, cognizant stone. So let's just, under a complacent, that's, I mean, coherent, so it's understandable, suggesting it's very easy to understand, competent, that's, oh man, if you're described as competent, you really are on the middle shelf of life. Dry stone, cohesive, so sort of logical and consistent, cognitive, so to do with reason, it all makes sense. Cognizant, very aware and mindful, sort of self-conscious, if you like. She's not really arguing with another person. She's arguing with the modern world, isn't she? She's this ten tons of solidity, which seems to be joined to a deep, deep tradition of the north, of Scandinavia, of Shetland, of sincerity. And she's comparing it with the modern world. Tessellate, quick, stable, splintery, and all very competent and uh, makes complete sense. But who wants to make sense? This is a woman who wants to write a, a gawky waltz and... Uh, she wants to write a folk song. I want to quote that exactly, but an old folk dance in a weird time signature. She wants to be over there and not over here. And then back to her. Then this greenish load, L-O-D-E. I've spelt again, but I'm trying to help. This great, you know, a sort of a vein that runs through her, this source of something. Then this greenish load, creased smilingly so something less regular less fathomable if you like then this greenish load creased smilingly waxy as ambergris ambergris you may well know is it's it's like um the chinese i think call it dragon spittle it's very mysterious and it's very marine it comes from the digestive system of a sperm whale and they use it for perfume. When I say they, I, don't, I mean people use it for perfume. But there's a real 
something very dark and from the beginning of time about him. Then this greenish load creased smilingly, waxy as ambergris. It doesn't go. So she's saying, I don't fit in this neat, man-made, itty-bitty precision wall. I don't go. And it ends like a naked elbow in a bunch of flowers. That's how she feels. And a bunch of flowers is, that's nature that's been separated from nature. And it's also often given in insincerity. It's a sort of flattering gesture. And she's like a naked elbow in the, in the, in the middle of it. Naked um, really suggests a truth and an honesty. And, but the elbow for me is like something you use to fend off. And to, and to gain space. It's got attitude and elbow. That's what she feels like. This big 10-ton boulder in the middle of all this itty-bitty neatness. This naked elbow in a bunch of flowers. I've gone on a bit, but you know what? I love this book. Stone Age, Jen Hadfield. There's loads of other stuff in it. You'll really feel like you've been spending time on a northern misty and mystical island at the end of it thank you for listening to my poetry podcast don't forget to subscribe so you can never miss an episode imagine that and you can also catch me every saturday at 8am on absolute radio uh, less poetic probably funnier see you next time